You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. At the very beginning of the Bible, we see God's good vision for the world, creation in harmony with humanity, and humanity in harmony with God. Join us for our series, Sacred, Genesis 1 and 2. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. It's good to have you guys here. Um, this morning, my name is James Fields. I serve here as the lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. It's indeed a great privilege to be here on this brisk and cold day. We do have some space up here inside of the light and the sunshine. So if you want to come and be warm, you may want to come up a little closer if, you, if that's okay. If not, ask someone if they have a blanket or extra sweatshirt for you. That's totally fine as well. Um, but we are thankful to God to be here on Church and the Lawn. Uh, we only have a, about two more weeks left of being outside, so I, I appreciate you bearing the cold today. Um, salvation is upon us. We'll be back inside um, after the 31st, so we're thankful to, to the Lord to be out here today. If you're able and physically able and willing, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're going to continue in our series of Missio Day, looking at Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. So Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25, reads as follows. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord made the rib that he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone. And flesh of my flesh, this one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, it's one of the most puzzling statements within all of Scripture. It is not good for man to be alone. Now, as a social introvert, I have to admit, I have a lot of times where I actually enjoy being alone. Not all of the time, but most of the time, I would say. I enjoy getting up early in the morning. I enjoy being left alone to my inner thoughts, not having them interrupted by screaming and yellings of who's going to watch their favorite TV show. Someone who stole someone else's ego waffle at the dinner table. I love getting up and just having space to think to myself. Sometimes I enjoy listening to the quietness of nothingness. If that's a word, I just made it a word. That's not a word, I just made it a word. But notice God's decree 
to my preference to be left alone. He simply says this. He says, it is not good for man to be alone. But why? Why is it not good for man to be left alone? And today, it's my desire to try to answer this question to the best of my ability. You see, two weeks ago, Dr. Allison gave us a description of what it means to be made in the image of God. And he reminded us of these simple truths. He reminded us that God has created us. He's reminded us that we are dependent beings. He's reminded us that we are complex beings. And also that we have a function or a teleos, as Pastor Nick shared with us last week. He also reminded us of this important truth, that we need relationships. That we need relationships. So today I seek to answer the question of this question. Why should we care about living in community? Why should we care about living in community? Would you please pray with me? Our Father and our God, we do thank you. As always, God, I ask that you would take the little I have and make much of it. Glorify yourself as only you can. Hide me behind the cross so these your people will see you and not me. Pray that Christ's name will be glorified, that we will be transformed, and God, your church will be edified. Pray, God, against the work of the enemy even now. Pray that you will steal his hands and even his attentions. Cancel them and allow them to be null and void in the name of Jesus. We ask that your word will go forth and not come back void. Let some mind be transformed and let some soul be saved for the advancement of your kingdom. Love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in his excellent book, Made for Friendship, Drew Hunter writes the following. He says, if we remove friendship from the world, half of our joy goes, out, goes right out with it. This is because friendship is the ultimate end of our existence and our highest source of happiness. Friendship with one another and with God is the supreme pleasure of life, both now and forever. And no one can fully enjoy life without it. In a similar way, C.S. Lewis also writes, to the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, and I would include us in being the modern world in this, even though we, it wasn't written in our modern times, the modern world in comparison ignores it. You see, from the very beginning of time, God has declared that Adam's being alone is not good. But why? Why is it not good for man to be alone? Let me give you and suggest to you two reasons for that. The first reason is this, the sin of isolation. And the second reason is the isolation of sin. Look at with me in verse 18 to discuss the first suggestion, the sin of isolation. Look with me at verse 18a. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Notice to be isolated and or alone was never part of God's original plan for humanity. 
Why? Well, obviously he, could, he, he clearly says that it's not good for man to be, to be alone. But the second reason is because being alone goes against God's created order, and it also goes against God's eternal design. It's a good reminder for us that this is the one and only thing that was mentioned and has been mentioned thus far as we look into the narrative of Genesis as not being good. I love what Chris and Elizabeth McKinney says in their book, Place for Purpose. They say, Adam knew from the start that his need for, Adam knew from the start that his need for a neighbor Eve was not a weakness or a flaw in God's design any more than it was a weakness for the plants in the garden to need sunlight in order to live. In the same way, God has woven into our very DNA a need for people. Our need to be in relationship with others is not a result of the fall. Rather, it has been God's design from the very beginning. So Pastor James, (laughs) I hear someone saying, Pastor James, I'm confused. (laughs) If God's design from the very beginning was to live in community, why do you refer to isolation as being sin? Well, the Hebrew word for sin is hata, which means to go astray or to miss the mark. This notion is similar to an archer who takes an arrow and points it towards a target and lets the arrow go, but yet misses his or hers intended mark. You see, see, in a similar way, we too can miss the mark by pursuing desires that God has has, um, has identified as being not good for us. Thereby, sin, by definition, is our pursuit of wisdom that extends beyond God's loving care and provision for our lives. And we'll hear more about that as we continue in the narrative of Genesis by looking at Genesis 3 in the coming weeks. Listen to, again, what Elizabeth and Chris McKinney says in their book, Place for Purpose, about this. They say, to be made in the very image of God meant, among other things, we were created for relationships, for community, and for neighbors. Not just any kind of neighbors, but ones who would know and love us for who we really are. So let me ask you, do you believe this to be true in your own life? Are you living your life as if you were created for relationships and not isolation? For community and not just to be left alone? Are you living your life as if it has a reason beyond yourself? I love the old African proverb. (laughs) Simply goes this, it says, If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. A couple of weeks ago, I gave you a snippet into my life and my lack of detail, specifically regarding my wife and I going our 15-year anniversary to Charleston, South Carolina. And it escaped my mind to finish up that analogy of uh, of what happened at the end. So for those who don't remember, uh, for the, every five years, five, 10, and 15 years, my wife and I, we don't have the funds or the Benjamins to try to do something every year. So every five years, we try to do something special. We try to get away. We try to be able to romance each other, if you will, and without kids, I will say. That's very important. 
So this year, it was 15-year anniversary, and the last couple of years, my wife has taken the lead. I said, baby, I got you. This year, I'm going to handle it from beginning to end. And I did. I, I got the hotels. I got the babysitters. I got um, the, the budget. I got the money. I got everything that I needed. We got to the airport. We already had my ticket, so we didn't have to worry about that. We're smiling and having a really good time. We go to TSA, and they... The red lights start blinking. I don't know if you've ever seen the red light, but I have. A red light starts blinking towards me, telling me that we can't gain access. And I'm wondering why. I got my tickets. I've done everything. I've chucked every single box on my agenda. And to my surprise and to my dismay, I soon realized that I have forgotten to get my wife a ticket to board the plane. So here I am. Hour and a half, an hour before we are to leave, and now I have thought I had everything in order, and again, not paying attention to the most important detail of my life, bringing my life, my wife on the trip together, and not just by myself. We had a crossroads. What do we do? Now I have to admit to you, in that moment, I had to swallow my pride a little bit. You see, because I was doing this not just to go on the trip. I was doing it to earn some brownie points. I wanted to let my wife, I got you from beginning to end. I, I, you don't have to worry about a thing. You just show up and we will go. Unfortunately, my limitations and flaws and even my sinful and prideful heart had different intentions for me that day. I was immediately given a, a special ticket to come back to the beginning of the line, and I was told to go to the kiosk or to the service desk to figure out what was wrong. <laughs> we went to the kiosk, we went to the service desk, and as we went, I, I, I was profusely apologizing to my wife, telling her how sorry I am, and I hope this can work out, and we're praying and crying out to God together, even starting to shed some tears over maybe the lost opportunity of not going on this trip. I get to the service desk, the man at that service desk was very kind and patient. But as he's talking to me, I'm like, bro, I don't need to hear your life story. I need a ticket for my wife. Do you have it or not? And sure enough, he had it. But not only did he have a ticket, by God's grace, I had enough points gathered up that we actually got a free ticket. Round trip for us to go. So we got our tickets. I took my special hallway pass, if you will. We went up to that TSA director, gave it to him, and we went on our trip. Now, I'll tell you that story not to make light of happenstance and even my own shortcomings. I, I share that story to let you know that it's, it's, it's important for us as we live in community to let people in, even if it costs us the image of perfection, or even the image of having it all together that is worth letting people into our falls and our failures, our shortcomings. And listen, if we would have went on that trip and I would have had everything crossed off on that list, every checkbox, you know how I would have went to Charleston, get off the plane saying, how great am I? <laughs> I did it. I succeeded. I did everything I needed. My wife trusts me and she, 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 she knows I can get it done. 
the finger would have been pointed here. (laughs) But by God's grace, he allowed the finger not to be pointed towards me, but the finger was pointed above to our good and gracious God. And we were invited into an opportunity to let God in. Again, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. You see, many of us, including myself, we live our lives in order to go fast and not go far. We live in isolation, making our own decisions. We intentionally neglect forsake and avoid living within the community of God until either our lives get disrupted with the unexpected circumstance or things just simply don't work out as we intended them to. And this is why God purposely and intentionally says it is not good for man to be alone. Because when we live in a constant state of isolation, our desire starts to become self-centered and narcissistic. Listen to the wisdom of Bill Egger, former president at Geneva College, as he describes a loner at heart. He says this, he says, what is a loner at heart? He wants what he wants in his way and his ideas, or he takes his ball and he goes home. Give and take, accepting advice, or serving, er- serving others is not for him. He showers the church society and his family, family with scorn. If he could marry, he would marry himself. Such a person, look, it is not good for man to be alone, and he will rage. How dare anyone give him advice? Imagine a prodigal son in Jesus' parable being told he was going to lose his money and be lonely if he had left home. Wrathfully, he rejects the advice and off he goes on to a whim to a far country where he promptly wastes his money and and riots his living is soon found friendless and stuck. He's stuck feeding pigs whose slop he has hunger enough to eat himself. Only that lonely son, only when that lonely son finally comes to his senses, did he humbly return to his family where his father welcomed him home. Every proud loner loner needs to come to his senses, seek human companionship, and learn to listen to advice. It is not good for man to live alone or woman to live alone. All followers of Christ belong in his church visible, outside of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. I love this. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, listen, when we want to live on our own, when we actually want to live in isolation, it actually perpetuates something in us. It perpetuates a self-centeredness and a narcissistic nature that arouses within us. Listen to how Proverbs 18, 1 and 2 says, the one who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinions. Listen to me. Be very careful of someone who's always willing to give you opinions, but never willing to take advice. Be very careful of someone who's always willing to let you know what you should be doing, but you yourself can never give them sound advice in return. 
How does God respond to Adam's need? Look with me in verse 18b here. God takes the initiative as he always does. And he says these words, I will make a helper corresponding to him. Notice how God provides for Adam's need by providing a helper for him. But also notice that before Adam can even acknowledge his need before God, our God is already proactive to provide the solution to the problem that Adam doesn't even know he needs. I think that's a word from somebody this morning. I think that's a word from somebody to hear that our God is never reactive. He is always proactive and he always knows how to respond to every single need that you have even before you know there's a need. God is a God who doesn't respond to any issue of your life. He is a God who proactively and sovereignly knows every detail of your life, even when you don't. Listen to the words of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. For he chose us in him. Before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in love before him. Do you, do you hear how God is proactive? He chose us in him, in him being Christ, before the very foundation of the world, before the book of Genesis, Genesis was even known to us. God had foreordained before the foundation of the world to choose people in him to be holy and to be blameless in love before him. I love that verse and I have to go to it often Because that verse helps me to see that God has chosen me in order that I might be holy and blameless before him. He doesn't choose me because I am holy and blameless. He doesn't choose me because I'm so smart or handsome or good looking or whatever you want to call it. Keep giving those adjectives. I'll take them if you want to give them. He chose us so that we might be holy so that we might become blameless, not because you are holy or not because you are blameless. I love what the Life Application Study Bible says about this verse. It says, God's creative work was not complete until he made Eve. I think every woman can say amen to that. Amen. Amen. I see you ladies out there. Yes, ma'am. God's creative work was not complete until he made Eve. I love what Proverbs 18.22 says about this. It says, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Notice it with me in verses 19 through 20, how God actually responds, proactively responds to to the need that is placed, that the, the need that Adam doesn't know that he, he actually needs at this point. Look with me in verse 19. It says, the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see that what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. 
If, if, at this point in the narrative, it's almost like a light bulb goes off in Adam's head. <laughs> he finally sees what God sees. Notice it was God who first noticed God, uh, Adam's problem and not Adam himself, but also notice how God responded to help Adam to see it. God pro- helped Adam to see his need by bringing him to his creative order. <laughs> so, so to put this in the most simplistic way possible, it's almost as if God was taking Adam through uh, the land that, he, that was created and all the animals. And Adam is walking with God and, and he's saying, okay, name that animal. And he says, oh my gosh, that, that is a squirrel. And he says, okay, name the other animal. He's like, oh, that's a squirrel. Oh, there. Oh, that's a male and female squirrel. Okay. All right, Adam, good job. All right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Oh, what's that over there? That's a tiger. Oh, man, that's a beautiful tiger. I think I'm going to name that thing tiger. Oh, man, there's two of them. That, okay, I'm going to call that tiger, but that's, that's a female. Oh, okay, male and female. Okay. And he keeps going through all of the narrative that God had created, and Adam is noticing a pattern that, that does not extend to himself. I love this because God doesn't acknowledge the problem, but he graciously allows Adam to experience the problem before he solves it. He invites Adam into learning and experiencing his own problem and his own dilemma. Saints of God, please hear me. Part of, the walk, part of walking with God is not just about God always telling you something. Yes, God will give you instruction. Yes, he will give you insight. But sometimes God's in, he invites you in into situations so that you can learn your need and then respond to him with that very need. Sometimes God will take you through situations and tribulations and problems so that you can learn your need and then respond to him and asking him to provide that need for you. Let me tell you how this worked out for me. About two weeks ago, I was uh, decided to update my car. I needed new tires. So I went to a place actually not too far around here and I decided to get new tires. But when I got the new tires, I noticed something. Again, if you don't know me, um, I am not the most handiest guy in the world. I can fix some stuff, um, but I can't fix everything. You don't, don't call me for that. Call MacGyver or someone like that. If you don't know what MacGyver is, shame on you. You, you need to know who MacGyver is. Um, call MacGyver or, or some type of person like that. I, I'm just not that guy. But when I went to go get my tires, the one thing I did notice is that when he put my tires on, I noticed they were the wrong size. <laughs> I'm like, I'm smart enough to know that at least. That my rear tires were 65 and then my top front tires are 55. And I was like, bro, you gave me wrong size tires. And he's like, well, you know, um, you know, just try them out and see. And, 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 and we'll, we'll, I was like, no, man, you need, to, you need to change my tires. He's like, all right, well, we'll order them for you. Just keep these tires for now. So I took the tires for the weekend. I'm driving around. And all of a sudden, the light on my car starts to come, this ABS light. I don't even know what an ABS light is. But it comes on and it is flashing and it won't go off. And I'm getting frustrated now because I'm like, man, I had one problem. Now I have another. I go back to the guy and I'm like, look, I think it's your tires. You put the wrong tires on here. Fix the tires. The ABS light will go off. He graciously takes the tires, put the right tires on. And guess what? The ABS light does not go off. 
And I'm even more frustrated. I'm like, oh, what is going on? Lord, help me in this situation. I finally go back to the mechanic and I finally, he looks at the tire for me and he finds out that what the issue is is not the tire. The issue was something with my axle rod or I don't even know if someone doesn't know a proper name for it. Tell me after the service. But the tire would shake as I was driving. And I was, I was telling him, he's like, man, you didn't notice this before? I'm like, well, you know what? I just thought it was an old car. I just figured that it was a part of having an old car. It really doesn't matter. He's like, man, he's like, listen, your tire was about two or three days from literally snapping off. And you would have been stranded somewhere or better wor- or, or even worse, in an accident somewhere in Louisville, Kentucky, stranded because you're ignoring the situation that's placed before you. You know, again, sometimes what God does is God doesn't just always just give us straight answers of saying, do this or do that. But what God does is sometimes he brings us into a place to show us and remind us of our limitations and then to look to him for the grace to give us the grace between our limitations and his sufficiency. God is looking for people that will acknowledge their limitations and acknowledge his grace and allow him to create and feel the chasm that lies in between. It's not about you knowing more or doing more or being more. It's about you learning how to rest in the knowledge that God is in control of all things, even and especially when you are not. We say this time and time again, but I think it's worth repeating for us even this morning that God's process is always worth your patience. God is never in a rush. He's never in a rush. Why? Because all time and eternity evolves and lives in his hand. God is not without resources to provide for you. It's not like that God has gone bankrupt. Why do I know that? Because the Bible says that the cattle on a thousand hill belongs to him. Notice with me that God created Adam with the need to relate to one as his complement. And now God is the one who will meet that need, not Adam. He graciously allows Adam to come to a point of confession, a point of acknowledgement so that God's grace can be seen and known in his life. It's a good reminder for us this morning that confession is always the prerequisite to renewal. Confession is always the prerequisite to renewal. We want renewal. Every single person in the sound of my voice wants to be renewed in one way or another. But in order to experience renewal, we first have to learn how to confess. Love what Psalm 51, 17 says. It says, the sacrifice pleasing to the Lord is a broken spirit. God will never despise. He will never turn away from a broken and humbled heart. It's the one thing that God can never turn away from. God can never turn away from humility. Let me tell you something that God can turn away from, though. Pride, arrogance, 
James says that God puts it this way, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Are you living your life as if this scripture is true? Are you living your life before God as a humble servant? Look with me at verse 20 here, where, where again, it says, The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and every wild, wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. But yet our God responds to him. I love this because starting in verse 21, we start to see this name of God. In verse 21, it says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man. This word, Lord God, is actually a common, is, is the first revealed name of God in Scripture. It is the name of Yahweh. It's the name of uh, Yahweh Elohim or Elohim. And it simply means, Elohim means, um, it's the plural, plural masculine plural, plural noun that refers to the triune nature of our God. And what it's helping us to see is that God exists not just as a lone entity, if you will, but God exists with a perfect and non-conflicting nature of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as three distinct persons in one Godhead. So the very way that God reveals himself shows us and reminds us of his desire for us not to be alone. He says, I am Yahweh Elohim. I am the God of the Father. I am the God of the Son. I am the God of the Holy Spirit. Three distinct per per persons, yet in one Godhead. Look with me in verses 22 and 25 with me discuss the next portion, not just the sin of isolation, but the isolation of sin. Verse 22 starts this way. Then the Lord God made or fashioned the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. And they become one flesh, but the man and his wife were naked and yet felt no shame. Notice with me first that how each one was created. Adam was formed. Remember Genesis 2, 7, that Jesus, uh, God says that he took the dust of the ground and breathed into it. And man became a living soul. But here in verse 22, it says that the Lord God made... Other translations say fashioned the rib he had taken from the man. So while Adam was formed, here we see that Eve was fashioned. Love what the, again, Life Application Study Bible says about this. It says, he could have made her, being Eve, from the dust of the ground as he had made man. God chose, however, to make Eve from the man's flesh and bone. In doing so, he illustrated for us that in marriage, man and woman symbolically became one flesh. This is a mystical union of the couple's hearts and lives. And then he ends with this point. The goal of marriage should be more than friendship, 
The goal of marriage should be oneness. Should be oneness. So I want to, as we end our time this morning, what I want to do is I want to end with three important lessons and aspects that we see from this chapter, specifically in regards to marriage and how we should pursue our ultimate goal of living in community in the confines and even in the beauty of marriage. So let me give you three important aspects to remember about marriage. Number one, Adam and Eve were created as companions. You see that in verse 22. See, like Adam, Eve had a relationship with God before she had known Adam. Eve wasn't just created to be or to, to have a relationship just with Adam. She was created to have a relationship with God herself. This is what the Bible means when it says that God brought Eve to Adam that Eve was able to have her own relationship, her own, um, uh, her own fellowship and communion with our God and our King, even before she had relationship with Adam. Speaking to the wives here, especially, but also the husbands, but especially the wives, I want you to know this morning that your relationship with God should not be diluted or neglected just because you're married. Your relationship with God is your relationship with God. And God is calling you to love him and to pursue him with your husband. But he's also calling you to worship and to pursue him as an image bearer, as a co-equal with your husband. Adam and Eve were created as companions, verse 22. Number, verse 23, Adam and Eve were joined together as co-equals. Eve was an essential contributor to the marriage. She was not simply a secondary servant to her husband. Husbands, shame on us if we allow the lie that this world wants to give our wives that they are secondary to us. Shame on us. If we treat, expose, or utilize our wives as a tool rather than image bearers who are co-equal before God our King. If that is you today, and I include myself within this, if that is us today, we need to confess to the Lord and we need to ask him to give us the grace to love our wives as they, God has intended and called us to love them. With, the, with the, a love that will give up anything, our dreams, our desires, our money, our time, our efforts, in order for them to be made more and more into the image of Jesus. I'm not talking to you in order to condemn you. I'm talking to you to hold each other accountable to, to, uh, to continue to allow our wives and our women to be seen as being co-equals, as image bearers of the king. Amen? If you see me in any way treating my wife in such a way, you have the right to talk to me about that. And just as well, I have the right to talk to you about that because this is of utter importance for us as an establishment of the church that God has wants and, and has called us to be in this neighborhood. 
that the beauty of this church and the foundation of this church should be on not just that we're image bearers, but we're image bearers who are relating to one another rightly in order in light of God's kingdom agenda or purpose in this world. So number one, we're created as companions. Number two, we're created as co-equals. Number three, Adam and Eve were invited into a covenant relationship marriage by God. Notice it be in verse 24. I love this language here. It says both the man and his wife were naked yet felt no shame. It reminds us that the goal of marriage is simple. We want to have unity of purpose while retaining our uniqueness as individuals. We want to have unity of purpose while retaining our uniqueness as individuals. This is what the Holman Christian Standard Bible says about this. It says the woman would correspond perfectly, though not identically to Adam. Like Adam, the woman possessed God's image. The fact that she was not taken either from the man's head or foot may suggest that the woman was not to rule over the man and not the man to oppress the woman. One of the most beautiful ways, I'm talking to married couples right now, one of the most beautiful ways to exemplify the gospel is not just talking about it, it's not just living it, it's allowing our children It's allowing our neighbors, it's allowing even our unbelieving families to see the beauty of God, what God is doing in the midst of us bringing us together as husband and wife, you and your spouse, into one flesh union. I'm not talking just about the contextuality word that Nick talked about last week. Talking about intimacy, talking about relationship, I'm talking about friendship, I'm talking about oneness. If oneness is not a part of your prayer life in your marriage, make it. Singles out there, I know that you are not married and that does not mean that you are other than or you are dysfunctional. You are still an image bearer of God and we see and love you for who you are and what a season that God has called you to be because all of us were single at one time. Amen. (laughs) Singles, if you know married couples that you love, pray for them specifically in this way, that they will grow in oneness with one another. Not just friendship, not just compatibility, not just financial gain. Ask God to grow that couple and their love for one another in the oneness that God has provided, specifically through his love for his church, most clearly exemplified through God's love for his church. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and thank you. God, we thank you, God, that you have called us into community. And that which we would call to be right and to be good, I thank you that you have called not to be good. It's not good for man to be alone. Father, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice who feels alone or isolated, who feels neglected, God, I pray that you would, first of all, draw near by your spirit, that you will be a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and you will be the lifter of their head when no one sees their head hanging low. Father, I also ask that you would provide for the need that they have for community and intimacy. I pray by your spirit, Father, you would help us to be a church that most clearly exemplifies the gospel, not just in our proclamation, not just in our beliefs, but even how we relate to one another. 
specifically regarding husbands and wives? Would you grow us in the grace and knowledge of what it means to be image bearers, co-equals, and companions for our spouses? Forgive us, God, where we have cut each other down, where we have not lifted each other up, where we have not supported each other as we should. Father, may your grace (laughs) fill our inadequacy. Would your power give us strength to love our spouse as you have loved your church. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.